hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my down-sitting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou compassest my path and my lying down, and art acquainted with all of my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. Thou hast beset me behind and before, and laid thine hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain unto it. Whither shall I go from thy spirit, and whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning, and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, Surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to thee, for thou hast possessed my reins. Thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee, when I was made in secret, and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect. And in thy book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. That is reading from the book of Psalms, Psalm number 139, verses 1 through 16. I read that because that gives us a very, in my opinion, my humble opinion, a very concise biblical perspective on two things the depth and expanse of God's knowledge and influence over our lives and the depth of value that each one of our lives holds when considering how interconnected those lives are to the God who created them. Fortunately, we live in a society that has utterly abandoned the concept of life as sacred. Hey, everybody, thanks for tuning in. You are, of course, listening to the Average Apologetics Podcast. And I, of course, am Corey, your average apologist, just as I am, no more, no less. And I am here to help you along your way on this journey that we call life. Try to delve into the Word of God, look at some things from a biblical perspective, and just try to learn, try to gain a little more of an understanding on how that we as individual believers need to take a stand and uphold the truth of God's Word. The truth, which is... Jesus Christ. This will be the second week of our daily broadcast. I know I'm a little bit late on this Monday getting started, getting everything out into the, the grand worldwide web for you, for you today, but what I want to talk to you about today is the value of human life. Economists have been identifying the dollar value of a human life for quite a while. That, that's, that's a common trend, right? You know, back in 2008, Kathleen Kingsbury reported that insurance companies were using treatment costs to reach a conclusive $50,000 price tag for the value of one quality year of your life. Of course, at the same time, Stanford economists were arguing that that, that price tag is actually closer to $129,000. 
for a quality year, a year of quality living. That's how much a quality year of your life in the eyes of the Stanford economist is worth. But of course, if that number if that number comes a little low for you, have no fear because if, if that number is too low, you'll be proud to know that in 2020, economist Rip Van Cousy and a panel of his fellow economic experts identified the value of a single human life across the board from birth to, well, old age. For a grand total, are you ready for this? The value of a human life, around $10 million. And that was based on some some statistical values, taking into consideration the the value of hazard pay and risk-reward and certain types of careers and the kind of risk that people take on a daily basis. And their conclusion in all of this, when they when they rounded it all up, which it was ultimately, I think that number came from the, what was essentially hazard pay, the average hazard pay for certain individuals and certain, certain career paths over the course of a year. If you added up all the labor force, it came up to a grand total of $10 million for what it cost the companies. So that's the value of a human life. Does that make you feel any better? Ten million? Well, ten million. I mean, if if you know, if in, if in two thousand eight you had insurance agencies saying that, well, fifty thousand covers a year. Well, if your whole life is worth ten million, I mean, that's that's better than fifty thousand a year, right? It makes you feel better. Would it make your life feel more substantial if it had a dollar value of ten billion dollars? Or maybe $10 trillion. Maybe let's just equate the value of one human life to all of the money in the world. Is that any better? From a moral perspective, is that any better? Not really, is it? It's not really any better when you start putting any kind of price tag on a human life. Now, I know what some of you may be thinking, well, you know, look, these people, these economists and insurance companies and government agencies, they're trying to make these fiscal decisions that affect entire nations, if not the entire world. And so they need a baseline. They need a baseline for their calculations if they want to mitigate any collateral damage that these decisions might have. And frankly, in that regard, you're absolutely right. They have to think in terms of statistics. They have to think in terms of numbers when they're making big decisions. Absolutely right. And look, if you're thinking, let's say, uh, in terms of military action, say you have a military strike on a terrorist stronghold. You don't know the specifics of the potential collateral damage in the area. You have to at least have some basis for how important it is to eliminate that terrorist cell in comparison to how many civilian casualties might be incurred. Is that cold, calculated, and inconsiderate? Maybe. But from a strategic standpoint, you can certainly argue that that is a necessary evil. But what we're talking about here is not in terms of making calculated decisions for specific situations. What we're talking about is looking at the value of life in general. Where society is growing increasingly intolerant, specifically intolerant of independent thought, of individuality, of personal responsibility. And that's a big one right there. When when society at large looks at the idea of personal responsibility as a function of evil, what, what does that say about their opinion of you or of me or of each other? What does it say about people's opinions of their neighbors, of their family members? If something so fundamental as personal responsibility is becoming twisted into a function of evil, 
a societal evil, what's good? When society is getting to the point where people in general are developing less and less of a respect for your rights, your private property, your well-being, then we're talking about something entirely different than a specific set of circumstances that demands that, that type of critical thinking, that type of cold, hard calculations to make terrible but necessary decisions. We're not talking about warfare in this regard, okay? We're talking about everyday life. How do you value your own life? Do you put a price tag on it? Now, some people will argue, well, if you work for a living, you're putting a price tag on your life. But is that true? Are you actually putting a price tag on your life? Or are you underscoring the value of your life through the necessity of doing what you must in order to provide for the things you need? I opened this episode with that passage from the Psalms because it highlights both the diminutive stature of human beings and the eternal significance of human life in the presence of Almighty God. We are created in His image, fearfully and wonderfully made as we are, and yes, we are flawed. Each and every one of us, totally flawed, fundamentally flawed. We suffer from the most terrifying and truly terminal illness that has ever existed and ever will exist, sin. And yet, God saw fit to provide for Himself a lamb, a perfect atonement on our behalves, an atonement that we could not provide, and that just further, further highlights just how special we insignificant and, and sinful creatures truly are. See, that's looking at life from a biblical perspective. We are sinners. We are tiny. We are insignificant on the cosmic scale if we're looking at things from the perspective of our lifespan, our size, our power, our authority. But if we look at things from the eternal perspective, as best we can, and look at how that we relate to God, we are living paradoxes. Humanity is a paradox. Both tiny specks of a created existence in the grand scheme of the universe and the chosen creatures of the uncaused first cause, the unmoved mover, the Almighty God, the chosen creatures, the chosen vessels to house His righteousness, even though we of ourselves are incapable of manufacturing any righteousness of our own, but chosen of God to be deliverable through faith in His mode of salvation, not delivered by our merits or by our, our lineages or our ideas, I mean, think about the, the ideas that people come up with. Most of our ideas as human beings are pretty ridiculous. Just think about it. Just, just turn on any infomercial. Turn on an, an infomercial on cable TV and tell me what you see. Some crazy new contraption that, in all honesty, is just a ripoff of something else. Go to the store. Every shelf is lined with one gimmick after another. But even the most elaborate and seemingly useful tools and toys at our disposal, do you realize that they're just, they're, they're nothing more than weak imitations of what God created? Take a computer, for example. A computer is a weak, silicon-based, electronic representation of the human mind. And half the time they stump us as to why they mess up. So go figure that one out, right? 
So you see, we're just sinful creatures, and yet God saw fit to send Jesus to die on the cross on our behalves so that we might be saved. You know what I call that? I call that special. I call that significant, and not because we of ourselves are significant, but because God has deemed us worthy to become significant. So when we as a society begin to evaluate our fellow human beings and to assign some arbitrary numerical value, whether it's a dollar value or some comparative value to a material thing, then we have gone way, way off the reservation. Because where do we get the right to diminish the value of another's human life? And where do we get the right to even diminish the value of our own life? I want to share a few stories I read today and over the weekend. But let's start with the bad. The first story comes from the United States Space Force. If you're not familiar with the Space Force, this is... I believe a subsidiary branch out of the Air Force that was initiated during, was it year two or year three of the Trump administration? I can't remember exactly. But this is the story that comes from the United States Space Force. A Lieutenant Colonel, Matthew Lohmeyer, was the commander of the 11th Space Warning Squadron in Buckley Air Force Base in Colorado. Lohmeyer had served in the Air Force for 14 years, including being an F-15C fighter pilot. He also flew a Talon jet, and I believe he was an instructor pilot for the Talon jet. On Friday, okay, on Friday, news came about that Lohmeyer had been relieved of his post because of some things that he said during a podcast, things that he said that were negative, I guess you could say negative, toward Marxism and critical race theory. Specifically about how Marxism and critical race theory are affecting our very military. Last week, Lohmeyer appeared on the Information Operation podcast. He was promoting his book about the dangers of Marxism in the military. So already I can tell you that's a book that I'm probably going to buy. It's a book that I'm probably going to buy. It's, it sounds like a good book. Because anything that warns people about the dangers of Marxism is something that I recommend to everyone. Lohmeyer said, he said this, The diversity, inclusion, and equity industry and the trainings we are receiving in the military are directly rooted in critical race theory, which is rooted in Marxism. A spokesperson for the Space Force said that the decision to relieve Lieutenant Colonel Matthew Lohmeyer from his command was based on public comments made by Lieutenant Colonel Lohmeyer in a recent podcast. Lieutenant General Whiting has initiated a, a command-directed investigation on whether these comments constituted prohibited partisan political activity. Now, what do you think about this? What this lieutenant colonel was talking about was sounding the alarm about an ideology that is fundamentally and diametrically opposed to a free nation. It is fundamentally and diametrically opposed to a free people. 
It is the antithesis. It is the direct opposite. It is a corruptive force that is designed to destroy a free market, an open and free society, and a free and publicly elected constitutional representative republic. If you don't know what a constitutional representative republic is, then I would direct your attention to our founding documents, because that's what this nation is. The United States of America is a constitutional representative republic. A lot of people try to call it a democracy. There is a democratic process whereby representatives are elected through the voice of the people. So local areas, individual areas, elect individuals. They elect representatives to voice their opinion in conference with other elected representatives. Those representatives are bound by law to uphold the Constitution. That's the law of the land. That's the fundamental framework in law which establishes the United States of America as a country. Now, I'm not a political scholar, but I understand that much. And so what that means is that we are a free nation of people, a nation of free people who elect from amongst ourselves individuals who we deem worthy to represent us, not because they're better than us, not because they are somehow high and mighty, not because they're a part of some form of aristocracy, not because they're some form of nobility, but because they have said that they will represent what we say. That's how a representative republic works. Now, whether or not that actually functions in the way that it's supposed to is another matter entirely, but that is how the system is designed. Now, now, what does that have to do with apologetics? Well, if apologetics is about taking a stand for the truth, and the idea here is that you are going to elect someone to speak on your behalf, and yet there are those who are in our military, the you know, the people who are voluntarily taking up an oath to defend the Constitution and to protect the sovereignty of our nation, regardless of what branch they're in, they have made an oath of service to the nation. And these are the people who are saying, well, hold up now. If you're speaking ill of Marxism, then we can't have you. When Marxism is a force that is directly opposed to a free people, then we do have a problem. We have a problem that affects anyone and everyone who's trying to speak the truth. More after the break. just want to take a quick moment to thank all of you listeners for your support. I appreciate you tuning in and joining us here on the Average Apologetics Podcast. If you are enjoying this content, I hope that you will subscribe to the podcast and share it with your friends, family, blast it on social media, let other people know. Because after all, the more people hear the podcast, the more people can potentially benefit from this content. of the kind of situation that happens when you go out and you speak the truth 
when the people who believe they're above you, who believe they're more important than you, who believe that their lives are more important than your life, don't like what you have to say. The Gospel according to Mark in chapter 6. When King Herod, verse 14, had heard of him, heard of Jesus, he had heard of the ministry of Jesus, heard the, 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 the words and the miracles that came out of Jesus' ministry. And King Herod heard of him, for his name was spread abroad, and he said that John the Baptist was risen from the dead, and therefore mighty works do shew forth themselves in him. Others said that is Elias, others said that is a prophet or one of the prophets. But when Herod heard thereof, he said, It is John whom I beheaded. He is risen from the dead. Now, in the course of the account of the gospel, this is where we find out in this particular account that John the Baptist is dead. We find out that he has been beheaded by Herod. And then it goes on to explain what actually happened. In verse 17, For Herod himself had sent forth and laid hold upon John and bound him in prison for Herodias' sake, for his brother Philip's wife, for he had married her. Okay? So Herod had married the wife of his, of his brother. He had married his sister-in-law. For John had said unto Herod, It is not lawful for thee to have thy brother's wife. So John, John the Baptist, speaking the truth, as, as you might say, speaking the truth to power, told Herod, that it was not lawful for him to have his brother's wife. Therefore, Herodias had a quarrel against him and would have killed him, but she could not, for Herod feared John, knowing that he was a just man and a holy man, and observed him. And when he heard him, he did many things and, and heard him gladly. And when a convenient day was come that Herod on his birthday made a supper to his lords, high captains, and chief estates of Galilee, and when the daughter of the said Herodias came in and danced and pleased Herod and them that sat with him, the king said unto the damsel, Ask of me whatsoever thou wilt, and I will give it thee. And he sware unto her, Whatsoever thou shalt ask of me, I will give it thee unto the half of my kingdom. See, he's saying, I will give you whatever you ask me for. I will give you up to, up to a half of my very kingdom, that's how pleased I am with, with you, young lady, that he's saying to the daughter of his now wife. So, so this is, as, as far as, as, as I can tell, he's saying this to his niece. So he, he was pleased with her mother enough to take her to be his wife, even though she was the wife of his brother. And now he's offering whatever his niece wants. That sounds benign enough, right? So she goes forth and says unto her mother, What shall I ask? Well, she's going to her mother, who already wants John the Baptist dead. Herod won't kill him because he's afraid to kill him. He fears to kill this man who is a just man and holy man, who was at that time still a beloved man everywhere he went and, and preached. And the things that he did and the things that he said were received gladly. They were even... There were, there were even things that, that Herod found no fault in, no fault in under the law. His only problem was that John had spoken the truth, but he couldn't do anything about it, and now he swears to swear. He makes an oath. He swears to his niece, whatever you ask, I'll give you. And so his niece goes to her mother. She goes unto her mother, what shall I ask? And she said, the head of John the Baptist. What happens when you speak the truth? 
when it's contradictory to the whims and desires of those that believe your life is less than theirs? Well, sometimes, in that situation, speaking the truth can be a fatal situation. It was for John the Baptist. So I had initially wanted to discuss three stories, but since we're since we're cutting it short on time already, we're cutting cutting it close on time already. Let's just go ahead and jump to the good story, right? So we so we discussed one of the bad stories that I want to discuss. There there were two, and uh, we we may get to we may get to the the other story later this week, especially if if more news comes out about that one. But let's go and discuss something from my perspective it, it is fantastic a great story this story comes out of abernathy texas abernathy is now the 25th city in texas the 27th city nationwide to ban abortion and abortion clinics in its city limits now the statistics are a bit difficult to follow since reporting is not always reliable and very few online resources can actually be trusted to remain transparent with their methodology of reporting. But, that being said, the CDC reported from 2018 with 49 reporting areas. They reported 619,591 abortions, which is a horrific number. It is a terrible number. But... That number is dropping from previous statistics. For a reference, a little less than a little less than a decade ago, the reported annual numbers from 2009 are 789,217, with a note of that number being greater than originally reported due to subsequent numbers, subsequent information provided after the fact by Delaware. So statistically, the good news is that the numbers appear to be lowering. We have situations like this one in Abernathy to thank for that. In a situation like what we see in Abernathy, what we're essentially seeing is localized, the, the voice of a local community, right? What we're seeing, the voice of individual communities speak out and say hey we're we acknowledge that life has an inherent value we acknowledge that life is actually something worth protecting and that's that's not just on a a legislative basis and something like this with abernathy it came out of the the city council where the city of abernathy banned plan Planned Parenthood and other abortionists from setting up shop within the city limits, and it and I, I should I should note, the measure received unanimous support. The council was unanimous, and we are not going to allow the murder of children within our city limits. Now, is that something that we should have to make a declaration about? Well, no, we shouldn't have to. But when we're living in a society where the value of a human life is all too often relegated to some 
form of statistic or some numerical value or some materialistic concept rather than the sacred, God-given gift that it is, then we get to a point where we have to stand up and say, hey, I'm a human being, and I value the lives of all human beings. In a society that fails to recognize life as inherently valuable and as something to be held onto as sacred, as holy, as fundamentally necessary, as part of objective reality, a society that fails to recognize that is doomed to self-destruct. So when we see cities, not just it, it's it's fantastic, it's wonderful when states come out with legislation to ban to ban the the heinous act of murdering children, but when we see local communities take a stand, for me personally, that's an even bigger win. May not be bigger in the scope. But it's bigger for the moral message that it demonstrates. Because it's not just a group of officials who are deciding, hey, we think the people are actually against murdering children. But it's the people themselves that are rising up and through the voice of their immediate city councilors. It's one thing to look at elected representatives in a state capital or especially in Washington, D.C., Right, Because when we see these individuals, there's so much of a disconnect between them and what I call the real people. The real people. It's the people who actually work for a living. If you're talking about city council, city councilmen, we're talking about your neighbors, your family members, your friends. We're talking about people that you see every day, people that actually have real jobs as compared to the people in your state capitals and the people in Washington, D.C. who don't have real jobs that we just subsidize their lives. Is that, is that a little bit of a rant? Maybe a little bit of a rant. But the point still stands. The point still stands that, look, when, when you have a local city council unanimously saying, we value life, for, for me, and, and I think if you really examine this from... From the perspective of this is the direct voice of the local community, to me, that's even more of a powerful statement for the rest of the nation to see. It's even more powerful. And that, that, my friends, was a wonderful story. I, I, was, I was thrilled to read that. I hope to read more. I hope to see more instances of local communities saying, hey, life is valuable. Life has meaning. Because you know what that also says to me? That says to me that there, the more local communities rise up and say that, that we value life, life has meaning, life has purpose, the more local communities that rise up, that rise to the challenge, the more that do, then the fewer instances that we will eventually see of people like Lieutenant Colonel Lohmeyer being removed from his command because he voiced an opinion that was antagonistic toward Marxism, which is an ideology that denies that life is valuable. But that's all for today, folks. That's all for today, folks. You say take the good with the bad? Well, take the bad with the good, the good with the bad. Either way, it's a mixed bag. 
and when you look at things going on in the world around us, there are there are bad stories. I think I mentioned that there was another bad story I wanted to get to. We'll get to it later in the week, more than likely. It's it's more like something out of a horror novel, and and frankly, I don't want to talk about it today. Let's give it time. I'll sit on it. I'll stew on it, and then we'll discuss it. If you benefit from the content in this podcast, I encourage you, I implore you, I, I practically beg you, share this content with other people. Share this podcast. Let other people know. Put it out on social media. Share it with your family, with your friends, and I've mentioned before, with your worst enemies, because hey, if this is something you like and they're your worst enemies, this will probably be a little burr, a little, a little nettle to them a little jab that it's subtle they might not like it but who knows they may actually listen and then they may not be your enemy anymore you never know spread the word that's the best thing that you can do for this ministry pray and spread the word but in the meantime stand strong keep the faith and seek the truth above all things god bless Thank you.